Hi, this is the Home Bodies Yoga Podcast, and I'm Rebecca Hirsch, and this is our 27th episode. In this podcast, I ask people what they do when they unroll their yoga mat and tell you a little bit about what's going on on mine. If you have a question about your yoga practice or a suggestion for a guest, please email me at Rebecca at Home Bodies Yoga. You can find me on Facebook and Instagram at Home Bodies Yoga Podcast. To find out more about each show, please go to our website, homebodiesyoga.com. If you're enjoying the show, please rate and review and subscribe so you never miss an episode. And um, if the place where you're listening, you can't rate and review, please rate and review on Apple Podcasts because that is what really helps people find the show and helps our community to grow. Um, And I know I always say that, but it really does help. So thank you. Um, So real talk, I somehow went to publish the episode today and I totally lost the intro and I don't know, just Audacity, which is where I record and edit this podcast, just made something else up. Um, So I am re-recording in the 11th hour, if you will. Um, Yeah, so things are a little wacky. Uh, Everyone is home in my house, and uh, so that's great. (laughs) So you might hear a child or a dog or a husband. All all could be making noise at any moment. Um, But I really did want to talk today a little bit. Actually, my sort of the part of my practice I want to talk about today was influenced by our guest today, who's that is Danielle Hugenboom, and I will talk about her more in a moment. But for my own practice, uh, lately, something that's been really helpful, well, I should say, I've been having some issues, and they're physical issues, but physical issues are mental issues, and mental issues are spiritual issues, so of course it's all the same. Uh, anyway, I've just been having some problems, which some, I don't know if it's really a, it's hard to explain it, but I, I've been having, you know, some, uh, some sadness and some discomfort in my body. And, uh, maybe one day I'll talk about it on the podcast, but that day is not today. Uh, anyway, uh, because of that, I've been just been going down these like long kind of thought blame, these long spirals of like blame and shame and just like not feeling good about myself or not feeling like my body is taking care of me or not feeling like I'm not taking care of my body and just these like, you know, how it can get when something goes wrong, uh, the kind of spirals you can go through. Anyway, um, one thing that's really been helping me is mantra. And I've never been much of a mantra girl. Like I've definitely gone through phases where I've chanted yoga sutras or I've uh, felt good, you know, maybe saying om, but I've never been much of like a bhakti, like a singer. I, you know, I, I'm not, you know, like, I don't know. I, I'm just not much for that kind of thing. Um, it, you know, it just isn't what speaks to my heart. But um, I have been actually having this little mantra, which I say to my body when I'm starting to go through one of those spirals, which, you know, they happen in meditation, but they happen just when I'm out walking too, right, or whatever, living my life, brushing my teeth. And I just say, she's doing the best she can. And that's what I say to my body and to myself, like, oh, she's doing the best she can. She's doing the best she can. And I have been, you know, repeating that. And it's been really helpful. Like, it just kind of like stops that, like, I don't know, express train straight down into the dumps that can sometimes happen when, you know, something's going on with you, you know, with me, with whoever. And, you know, you go into that spiral. And for some reason, just saying she's doing the best she can to my body and to myself is like, I don't know, it's really helpful. Um, Doesn't acknowledge that nothing's wrong, but it, I don't know, it's just like, it just will kind of turn that train off, you know, 
slow the train down at least. And I realized I actually learned that from Danielle Hugenboom, who's our guest today. I was taking a yin class of hers years ago at Laughing Lotus. And yin always brings up a lot for me. We talk about this in the interview, but it always brings up a lot for me of like, kind of like anxiety um, and, and just like, you know, whatever is there hanging out in my spirit or in my body, it often comes out in yin. And I was feeling like, anxious in this class you know sometimes it happens there's nothing to do with the class it's to do with you and at some point in the class during when we were like kind of switching in positions Danielle said something like oh look at our little bodies just doing the best they can or something like that and of course Danielle if you're listening I'm sorry I'm probably butchering it but that was the sentiment like it was like you know, the kind of just the same sentiment as my mantra. And I remember just this like flood of relief coming over me, like how nice to just trust that sometimes we're just doing the best we can. (laughs) Uh, So anyway, that's been bringing me great comfort lately. And I don't know, I wanted to share. Um, And I'm so excited about this interview with Danielle. Um, She is like such a badass. She's like this yin warrior she's created this community and like you know the way that she approaches the business of yoga is really creating a community around the yoga she teaches and you know uh, encouraging other people to teach and just you know really I don't know I can't say enough about her I mean I think there are a lot of people who say that they live their yoga right they walk the yoga walk but I, I have never seen someone quite as much as do that quite as much as Danielle. Uh, she is just everything she touches, everything she puts on her body, everything she eats. Ha- she has really, really thoughtfully um, found a way to get right. So she farms. She not only does she farm, but she you know is, is seed saves and farms from those, and she cans, and she is a vegan, and she has never ordered from Amazon. Like you know, just and you know, of course she's not judgmental. You know, like everyone lives their life differently, but I just have so much respect for someone who just I don't know, just really has found her yoga practice as a way to guide her ethics and then really follows those ethics in a really thoughtful way. Uh, So we just talk about basically everything. We talk about farming. We talk about uh, how her yoga practice has evolved through the years and through a brain injury. We talk about um, ganja as a meditation practice and contemplation. We talk about her work in social justice. Um, yeah, we really go all over the place. So I think you're really going to enjoy this interview, and I really don't want to keep you one more moment from Danielle. So here is Danielle. Welcome, Danielle. Thank you for being here. Great. Thank you so much. I love always this part where we're like, then we pre-chatted. Yes. And then we're like, hello, everybody, and welcome. We've already (laughs) talked, but you guys don't know that. So here we are talking again. (laughs) Yeah, which feels like digital class. You hang out live with everyone. You have all these secret conversations. You go to the recording. You're like, welcome, everyone, and taking our seats. That's not (laughs) what was happening right before. (laughs) Um, so let's get right into it. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your history with yoga and sort of how you started and your journey? I love that. Just that little tiny short (laughs) intro question. (laughs) Um, yeah, I love that. Actually, I haven't really told that story in a little while because I've taken a little bit of a teaching break in the last, um, little bit, but I've been reflecting a lot on that path, but 
I found yoga in um, art school, actually. And I love saying this like unglamorous beginning to my story. It was um, a menthol smoking, whiskey drinking, rebellious art school student who had a lot of back pain. And a friend of mine said one time we should go check out yoga. And I was quite a bit feistier than I am now, even though people think I'm like maybe feisty and rebellious. And yeah, I wasn't really into it. I was really resistant to it. And I went to the YWCA actually on a student membership and took a class there, which didn't feel like I didn't know any traditional roots or any relationship to any of the practice other than I had never felt that way ever um, in my whole form. So I was 19 um, my friend went like three times and I, I never stopped going. That was 20 years ago, but it wasn't really, so that was like my introduction to yoga, like breathing and stretching and dealing with like pain and, you know, like traumatic childhoods and stressful teen years and all these crazy things that happen in our life. Um, and then it was really important to me. I did like a home practice for years I lived in France after university but still I didn't really have a spiritual connection I didn't really know much about a lineage it was really purely physical for me and then I ended up in San Francisco which is kind of also where our connection mm -hmm. um, is from I um, went to go visit friends in San Francisco and I stayed for uh, half a year and that happened to be one block away from the Laughing Lotus and my friend at that time is like the studio is about to open I remember how you loved yoga and you really missed it and so it really like helped your back and was kind of neat and then I rolled into the Laughing Lotus and I had never really owned or chanted or heard about the Gita or beautiful Hafez or any of the gods or goddesses or practice with like um, bhakti open-hearted people and I would always been really um physical and I guess kind of surfaced for me and that just uh, blew my mind like from going from like white studios in gyms with like weird sounds and pumping music to like sitting in the front with Keith and Jasmine and singing our hearts out and that to me I fell in love I guess maybe everybody says this but I felt like it had always been in my being like it's something that um some of the first sounds and some of the movements there when the spiritual depth and history and lineages of the practice came in started to make sense why it brought such a deep peace but also such a courageous strength um yeah um so yeah when I think back at that time it was like I didn't really know what I was getting into and that sort of made me fall in love from there I did a teacher training not with them I returned back to Vancouver so-called Vancouver Canada and I needed to do a teacher training immediately because I wanted to change my life. So I like to share that story, but I kept that secret for a really long time. It wasn't very authentic. I really wanted to like not smoke cigarettes, not drink alcohol and remain in this like strength building, um, spiritual strengthening, deep sense of community feeling. So I signed up with a teacher that I didn't know, but in a really beautiful place here. It was um, in Botanical Gardens on the coast out here. Um, and that's where I met some of my best friends who are still some of my um, great friends who are also yoga teachers. And that introduced me to all these different styles. 
So Laughing Lotus was like really quick and chanting and beautiful and open-hearted, flowering, mystical language and goddess, this and that. And then I came into a teacher that was like straps and blocks and um, Anusara and Ashatanga and like started layering all these practices. And sometimes I'm really grateful actually for that teacher because he gave us um, like which some people immediately don't feel like that's authentic, but for me, it really was this beautiful offering where he gave this like in-depth buffet of like all of these different styles and lineages um, and ways to practice without being really um, stuck um, stuck within one. He actually had committed to, uh, I think it was Anusara and had left because they asked you to commit in certain ways. He was really into this, um, Find a practice that suits your body, your history, uh, your moves. Uh, his man is, uh, name is Dan Clement, who's a teacher here. And through that, I found yin yoga. So that's how people kind of know me now. But that was like this little mini tiny buffet and my first 200 hour to like heal my back and make me stop smoking and like keep, um, I want to say unraveling pain and discomfort and stories and stuff. I think people forget that almost every yoga teacher started as a yoga practitioner because they were in some type of like physical, mental, spiritual, emotional pain. That doesn't appear in our bios or not like <laughs> after being a broken teenager and hurt, you know, <laughs> this is how yoga saved me. <laughs> yeah. I used to make the joke for a long time. I'm like, and yoga saved my life, but I really do because in those trainings, I started to really have space I'm such a nerd. I love education. I'm like an honor roll student. I was a valedictorian in my art school, like A plus all the time that I've had that feeling when I came to yoga where I was like, what is this? I want to understand this. Why do I feel this way? Why is this happening? Why do they sequence these together? Why do these words go together? What does this mean? Why are there different um, relationships? And then when I found yin, I was like, oh yeah, this is super me. I love this practice. Um, because it was what someone recently called me in like a, maybe it was you actually, when you wrote me, someone called me gentle fierce. I was like, that's so sweet. <laughs> I love that. Um, cause that to me is how I would explain the practice of Hien. So I found it easy, hard, but also like so many emotions and stories and feels and like these deep joys and like huge cries and these like laughters and in the teacher training we sort of dove into that as a group of friends like after school because we're all nerds um yeah we read all the books it was like a one month intensive but we read all these um yin books and it so happened that the teacher of yin and bernie clark lived in the town that i lived in so maybe two weeks later, I was like, oh, cool. I went from like this little snippet of a like a day long immersion in a 200 hour to did Bernie's. I think it was like a 50, 100 or 50 hour. And that that feeling of diving in with teachers was something that I missed in the early parts of my practice. I was like, this is incredible because I never um, I don't love the physical. I still don't love the physical. I feel like that's an entry and a gateway. I'm really interested in the spiritual and the energetic and the emotional. And so I just continued to do trainings um, from there. I did my 500 hour with um, Bernie Clark, or sorry, Paul Grilly, which really got me interested in 
classical anatomy, which was not my vibe at the time. I went from like mantra, Hanuman, um, Durga vibes into meridians and energetics and acupuncture. And then I was like muscles and bones and skeletal variations. And yeah, I feel like that's a beautiful part when you get into it. If you're a nerd creatively and academically, you're like, "Uh oh, what have I just begun? Because the more I learned, the more um, the more I realized there was an ability to help and heal people. And that was always my interest. I saw myself and my friends suffering in various ways and people suffering in various ways. And I saw this practice as a um, community-oriented and accessible way for a lot of people to practice. I mean, from a business standpoint and an economic financial standpoint, I put all these money into trainings and I traveled to places and I met teachers, but it also gave me an opportunity to cultivate my own interests and relationship to it, both as a personal practice, a spiritual practice, a community practice, and a business, which is sometimes uncomfortable, I think, to talk about of how do you bring together all those various parts, but I think that's us and our interests and who you see and how we live and what we do. Um, yeah, I feel really grateful here that I also spent time in a place called um, Salt Spring Yoga Center. So, yeah, I mean, I, I guess as I even reflect, I'm like, I'm kind of just reflecting on my own. I'm like, what have I done in that time? But that's 20 years of practice and I've taught for 14 years. Um, mostly yin is my passion now, but. I'm so glad you brought up the business aspect because I do feel like for some reason, it's maybe it's just awkward talking about money at all, but mm. I feel like for yoga teachers especially, and you are one of the first people, like now I feel like everyone is trying to like, you know, have a website and have like kind of a brand recognition, but you're the first yoga teacher where I was like, oh, love light yoga, like she is doing this. Um, and that was a long time ago. Like I can remember recognizing you like turning your passion into a business like I don't know 10 years ago maybe maybe more yeah yeah, yeah. it's um lovely yoga like as a business name um was born in 2009 um, amazing which actually I like that you brought that up because I've had this conversation a lot with people because people are like oh my god love light yoga like oh let your love light shine like look at you doing what you're doing and I'm like I know that word has like a different meaning now within community and spirituality and appropriation and appreciation and business and economics but for me also it was a term from reggae songs and like my deep appreciation of reggae and Rastafari culture and my relationships and practices in Jamaica and yeah let your love light shine something that Bob Marley sang a lot and Clinton Fearon and Burning Spear and um, but I went to art school so my background in I think you probably recognize like I had like logos and posters mm -hmm. and photos and like come to the thing which is probably where we met it's like come to the lotus we're doing a thing um but I started doing event production in high school and then in mm -hmm. university I did all the art openings and sat on the committees and through house parties and through art shows and raised donations and I think I transferred that those skill sets into it and also I was really clear I wanted to do my own thing because I felt 
uncomfortable with the cliquey weird politics within yoga and studios like I built my first and I love this because I'm mentoring teachers and I run an online school now and that's really wild to me because I never thought that happened because I just wanted to heal my back and like be a healthy person and like be happy um but I I, I wanted to feel independent. I wanted to make my own decisions. I wanted to, I knew that yoga was going to go down this path where everyone was getting really fixated with the physical, even at that point, because although people maybe like identify me as like a fit athletic person, that's not how I felt I was or came to this practice, but it did change how I moved in the whole world. Like when you reduce the pain in your body, it's, easier for you to see the potential for you to run your own business when you feel mentally emotionally spiritually like empowered and liberated I don't mean that in such now people are like oh I feel so empowered I feel so liberated but I mean in the words of Marcus Garvey which people think is um, Bob Marley but it's really Marcus Garvey none but ourselves can free our minds and that was a practice of um, yeah changing your your ability to create your own liberation and beauty and existence together through economics um, and sharing who you are. But I sort of going on a tangent because there's a couple of things I want to mention, but you're making me reflect. Um, thank you. Cause I appreciate, I forget how much time has passed and how much industry has changed and um, how yoga is valued and how it's perceived and who shares it and how it's shared and who are teachers whose voice is heard and, yeah, you bring up such a good point, too, about how um, much the practice, the practice of yoga and, well, for me and meditation, like, you need to take care of yourself first. Like, or, and not only, I mean, I think we all sort of think that, like, oh, to have a relationship, you have to take care of yourself. But, like, even to see opportunity, even to, like, you know, create a business around your passion of yoga and sharing yoga, like, you need to fix the inside first. Oh my gosh. I'm so sorry. I don't know what's going on with that. Um, you need to fix no your inside first. Like there. Um, I th and I think that's something that can sometimes get lost in a 200 hour teacher training where, you know, I, and whatever I see, it, it's just the way it is. But like, I think, you know, I came right out of yoga school and I was still like a pretty, uh, fucked up 20, three-year-old <laughs> and I'm trying to teach a you know grown people yoga like it yeah, I, now like, it's like I'm so experienced now yeah. <laughs> and now standing at the front of your mat I have the key to your life I know we met like five <laughs> minutes ago but like yo I have the key to your life like, what? <laughs> as much as I love laughing lotus like them telling me to do a dharma talk with grown you know adults in the room and I'm 22 and I'm like let me tell you about opening your heart it's like what do I my heart has I have no idea what that even means yet you know and the older I get the quieter I am when I'm teaching about any of that for sure I know I well I think there's a lot of pressure for the new teachers listening yeah I think there's a lot of pressure to like be perfect or be a certain way or to come from a certain place and represent a certain thing or say it a certain way depending on um, the community you're in and the lineage and your teachers and I felt uncomfortable with that because I didn't want to roll in and be like, hi, I know everything. I learned this like last week because I, I saved my waitressing money to like commit to this practice to change my life. And I'm going to have from a financial standpoint, I, I've put more money into studying and teachers and trainings 
um, than I did into my university degree. Mm-hmm. But I knew that that was for myself. And also I saw the potential for people to do something differently. And especially when I think of new teachers, I was able to do whatever I wanted. I made my classes by donation. And I was like, anyone can come. You can come late. I used to upsell my yoga friends who were like awkward um, ganja smoking art school students. I was like, you can come in your jammies. <laughs> like, you can smell like your dinner. You can smell like ganja. Like you can just do your own thing. And I used to bring little Rice Krispie treats, not infused, not like that, just like mm-hmm. vegan snacks. Cause I was interested in community building and I didn't want to be like, if you have enough money and you feel like you can go into this environment where you won't know what to expect, I'll never go to that. I never felt comfortable in the places um, where I feel like there was a lot of healing and community. And so it's neat when people are like, oh, I feel welcome there. And over the years, I feel like people have said that about me personally and my business and the people that I work with, they're like, you feel authentic and I feel welcomed. I can't, it's hard for me to feel like I'm not accepted by you. And I actually go out of my way for people to feel comfortable because sharing a practice like yoga, whatever style that you're interested in is is very uncomfortable and awkward. And we should maybe talk about that to commit to healing and pains and discomfort and the quiet things that everybody struggles with all the time. Once you see that, like the namaste, the light in me sees the light in you. Also, I joke sometimes the yin namaste is like the hurting, achy, awkward, <laughs> trying really hard to figure this out parts of me, and like doing my total stressed out best to the exact same thing in you. And that's why I know that we can do this. You're tucked in your room, hiding from your family. I'm tucked in my little digital yoga studio and like an uninsulated attic in so-called East Vancouver, you know, our glamorous lives. <laughs> um, but I think that yoga has yoga changed my life. Like I know that sounds so cheesy, but it changed um, my relationship to my mind, body, spirit, to my community, to energy, to who I work with, to what I commit to, to um, the alliances and collaborations that I build in the world. Like my ethics run really deep within me, and that is from my yoga practice. No. Mm. Um. It is so interesting to me. Uh, just this just came to mind that you uh, yin is what drew you in uh, because it's like clear from even talking to you for a while. Like you have a definite drive. Like you're involved in so many different things. You have these like you know vi- you know you just ha- you know hold yourself to very strong ethical standards, which is so wonderful. Like all of this stuff, and then you chose the yoga practice that is actually you know the well the most the least sort of like physically taxing and I think it's like your body was like we need this <laughs> it seems like right like it, it feels so intuitive that you would need a, something where you are still you know a practice where you're still um uh so with that what is your practice like these days 
I love that because when people that don't know me like personally or like community oriented and they see me as it's like quiet yin teacher and then they like actually meet me they're like yo you're not really very yin at all <laughs> like, <laughs> like, yeah you have to balance that yang you know <laughs> yeah um a hundred percent one I love the emotional mental gymnastics of yin I love the challenge of that because I think mm. that has a lot to do with personal growth and um, the way we interact in community and why the world changes because things don't change unless we change so I'm fascinated with myself and others I've seen how deeply healing it is to be so physically quote-unquote still but to make space and process I feel like the world is really demanding I used to make that joke people are like you don't really teach I used to teach a lot of vinyasa and lotus flow and people knew me for like fire fire Fridays and like core and all these things that seem so far away to me now. Um, but I used to joke and say, I don't need my like physical asana practice to kick my ass. My life kicks my ass like on a daily. A, I, the older I get, amen. Right? I'm like, how did I do that? I said that to someone recently. I was like, how did I teach 20 classes a week across this city? And I would ride my bike there. And then I'd like a 10-5. Now I'm like, I just came in from the garden because my physical practice is more gardening now. Yes, that's really like my my exertion practice is like farming and gardening. I have quite a bit of space at the place that I rent here. Um, yeah, it's funny. I'm like, how did I do that before? But um, also my whole practice changed. My teaching and my practice changed because four and a half years ago, I actually got two concussions. I got two brain injuries in a really short amount of time. Um, not from yoga. Everyone's always like, oh my God, it's from yoga. One was a door to the head at a, a musical event. Another was a glass shelf in um, in a yoga studio, funny enough, in a bathroom, nothing scary. Just some um, your relationship in space after you have one mm. uh, head injury. I mean, the depth perception, your proprioception. So I was so grateful at that time that I was mostly in a yin practice, my physical practice, because I had stopped practicing all dynamic asana in that time period. I had like no choice. So I lost a lot and I had to change a lot, but I was really grateful that I'm like, dude, you're really good at sitting. You're good at laying down. You're good at um, taking the adventures through emotional experiences and knowing the energy and things will change. Not once was I like my core work, my hands down practice. Cause I had already, broken up with that I was like I don't want to do that um, anymore I'm not I'm not athletic I didn't come from a dancer background or like a sporty sporty background like the athleticism and yoga in the beginning taught me that I had strength that I actually was capable of doing that and now that I know that I have strength and mobility I'm kind of good Mm. I'm more interested in I contemplate a lot I do a lot of like social justice work and creative work and community work. I like to think and vision and try to stay intuitive in what's happening in the world. I like to yin stretch and do the things that I do, but not in the same way. I'll have a, here's my confession in your podcast. I really broke up with my practice during my brain injury and concussion repair. It became really difficult and really uncomfortable and also, I'm like, I don't want to hang out with you anymore. I can't even do anyways. So, there, you know, there's really like that feeling of 
Oh, I guess I'll kind of shift the things that I do. But within that, I also, for example, I return to painting. My background's in the arts. I actually have a degree in photography. That's why my Instagram is really beautiful. I did four years at the top art school in Canada and I was a valedictorian. I showed art all around the world. So I'm I'm okay with an iPhone because it's kind of easy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I leaned on stuff like that. So I think my practice became a lot more... Um, creative and leadership. I'm fascinated in the ways in which we can heal and help each other heal. So I've spent so much of my time and my career taking care of other people and being a support. I mean, shout out to all my brain injury clients and students and friends over the years. I've worked very deeply one-on-one with many brain injury people for like a decade. Mm-hmm. And then bam, a hit to the head and I'm like oh my god so you're the teacher now and I need to know everything so mm-hmm. I had to reverse a lot of roles which I'm grateful for yin for because I was already humbled because if you've never done yin before although it's slow and seated on the ground some people say this is like not super PC it's an ass kicker it just like throws you for and it's a really difficult journey sometimes through yourself and the things that you avoid or are untruthful in your body, mind, spirit, and yin maybe puts that immediately in your face in, in every sense. And how you deal with it and how you react to it and your response to that is the fun part, right? A hundred percent. I think yin is the most challenging yoga practice. For me personally, like it's, I have to like, get my head right before or or during it I my head really it feels like a lobotomy to me sometimes (laughs) (laughs) I know I actually have a secret project I've wanted to do for a long time is people describing what yin really feels like Like it is not relaxing I have to like steal myself I'm like we're doing it today we're doing no surya namaskar today you're gonna do yin I'm like okay (laughs) (laughs) well here's the good news I've been told I teach a yin yin I like Uh lean super yinny into the yin yin yinny side um (laughs) because I also don't like the part where it's like oh right now we're working range of motion I'm like more interested in sensitivity and learning about yourself and the intuition around that and also what so many practices are about and I think yin's about and we forget is I am talking to your nervous system when I'm Mm -hmm. sharing yin with you Mm -hmm. like my primary goal is like someone who's sharing or facilitating that is I want you to feel better safer more free more empowered more create courageous I don't want to drill sergeant your core like I've done that I'm like you're good you're hot you look awesome yeah (laughs) Now let's talk about your past and yeah. like, you react. <laughs> um, so that's beautiful and it's fatiguing. That's also one of the reasons why I just, um, I'm actually on a break, which was really hard for me to take. I really resisted people on my team, both on my brain injury recovery team and people on my business team, people being like, some people saying you need to take a break and other people saying like, People need you more than ever right now. COVID's really hard. Mm-hmm. But I went um, I went online before COVID as a response to wanting to return to teaching. But I didn't want to have to travel to a studio because that was very so hard on my senses. And 
brain injuries are so complicated that could be like hours and hours on its own but getting places and dealing with environments and people and light and sound and directions for places I've gone to forever is too much mm-hmm. so in in response to that someone put me online and she'll listen to this big up yourself Devin Devin was a student and a friend of mine who was like I go to university online it's not that difficult we can take you online I'm like uh that's very difficult for me Mm-hmm. And so she said, if I set it up for you, will you do it? Because I know you mean a lot to a lot of people and you've disappeared from teaching. I was like, fine, let's try this. And, and we did it. It was very well received because I have a lot of people who were in the position I was suddenly flip where I'm like more home-based. I can't go places. We were training for COVID. If you have a brain injury or a concussion or a chronic illness or a different ability, we're training for these times, my friend, you know, how to let go of things and live differently and live in different means and, and um, adopt the way that you do things. So, so people thought we were ahead of the curve, but it was a response to me wanting to return to what I was doing in a different way. And two weeks later, every single studio in the lower mainland where I lived immediately closed down. And every event that I had booked forward, because I did special events, but not public classes, everything got canceled. And I was online and we had it on my website and ticketed at my own shop, lovelightyoga.com. Always had studios and events in the shop. So we just did it and it happened. So that was pretty neat. That's when you're saying like, wow, she as a business people. People are like, damn, she got online like in a COVID flash. I was like, no, I lost everything to a brain injury personally, professionally, and I had to rebuild. And part of the rebuild was if I can reduce the obstacles to sharing, then I can share again. Mm, and so good for the students who are in a similar position, who also it's a lot for them to get to a studio for one reason or another. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I really liked about your, uh, well, it's, I guess it's, I don't think you call it teacher training, but you, in your like sort of more, it, uh, the more in-depth study, you just kind of say, which I think so many people are looking for. You don't say like, this is a teacher training. You're like, this is going deeper um, on your site, which I really like because I, I think there's this like pressure if you're doing a 200 hour for you to be a teacher at the end when like everyone doesn't have to be a teacher and it's okay to want to go in depth on yourself and you're actually worth it, you know, to go in depth just for you. Like that's fine. That can be, and it can enrich your whole life without becoming a teacher, um, which I think, I don't know. I just found, I feel like I've been looking for that and to see it on your site was like, really, I was like, Oh yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah, like, I mean, for teacher training and and sharing and even my position as a quote-on teacher, I feel uncomfortable about that. Like, I'd rather decentralize that power. I don't want to be on a platform. I didn't mm-hmm. build this for myself. Actually, professionally speaking, I've made that shift in my business in the last couple of years where uh, lovelightyoga.com was born, like, 12, 13, 12, 13 years ago because I needed a place to tell people where I was, like, popping up my classes I never anticipated a school, a clothing line, retreats in Jamaica, product lines, collaborations with businesses, concerts. Like, it's my crazy artist Gemini brain where I'm like, I'm going to do these things and they come together. But, um, and even in that, I lost my train of thoughts. I'm like, oh yeah, there's all these things we talked about talking about, but um, 
yeah, I don't want to be in a position of power. I don't like the guru structure. I, I have beautiful teachers. I have wonderful gurus. I've studied with classical teachers. I've studied the things, that, but I'm more interested in people exploring themselves from an empowered place and utilizing a tapestry of ideas that are applicable to them and relevant to the land that they live on and the places that they are and who they are. And when we bring those things together, I think it, like the idea of being on a microphone on a stage and I've done that, I've taught at the Wonderless and I've been on the stages and things. I do not want to do that anymore. I'm like, oh my God, do not give me the microphone. I do not like that idea at all anymore. Where other people are like, I want to get on stage so bad. I wish I had that opportunity. So I'm really interested in that. I'm interested in lifting and pulling other people and teachers up. And there's some really amazing teachers, like my friend Chastity Davis, who runs um, a program here called Dien, uh, which is a Canadian history through an Indigenous woman's lens. Like, what if we weren't looking from history from a colonized lens, what we're taught in school, but from the people that are originally at this land? She's a young teacher. She was in our school. And she is like, you were the first person I ever met that looked at me and was like, of course you would be a teacher. You'd be an incredible teacher. And we did the training in my home as a, and as a small group of people. And She's like, to this day, I still remember that you reminded me I could do that. I've never seen myself in that position or done that. And for me, I think that's like decolonizing and decentralizing the way in which you look at the relationship of sharing. I like sharer and learner. Mm. And I bow to my teachers and I'm very grateful for the things that I've learned. But I don't want people to quote me or live like I do or look to me for what they do because our experiences are so different and also if we want to reach different places we have to change the way in which we think also studios don't really exist anymore I mean they're going to open most of the small studios didn't survive here even the large corporate studios have closed down in the city so this like independent work from your living room talk to the people that you work with go to your community center talk to your soccer team talk to the moms is fascinating to me because that was always my goal. The only reason I ever stayed in yoga is like, this is a tool for social change. Mm-hmm. I'll compromise the uncomfortable industry and the weird commerce and the cliqueiness and the spandex clothes being faraway places. And, and I'll change my mind about how that looks. And I see that now the people that are in our school are sharing with their kids. They've started mom groups. They're sharing with their soccer teams. Um, they're sharing with their families. They're teaching their parents and their nieces and their nephews. And when you have information, you're empowered. And when you're empowered, you make decisions that are different for you and your whole community, which I think is the main goal to bring together, to create union, to liberate, to, to take the journey of steps until we see that there is a oneness between us. Namaste and the one love, one heart that we speak a lot about. I think it's really neat to look at someone and be like, oh, I want the best for you too. I want the best for you. And I want the best for your family and your community. And that will only happen if we look at equity and justice and balance and the way that we distribute knowing and power and, and understanding yeah, I could rant on that forever because watching people who have never thought about teaching be like, I found a class, I did a thing. I'm like, yes, you did. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah, that's so um, 
I, I just love hearing your passion. Like everything you were saying, it was just so beautiful. Um, I did want to go a little bit back to how you're living because I read, I read you had a blog up about homesteading. And the thing that stuck out to most that I really appreciated is you were completely honest and you were like, this takes time. Like you said it a few different times about like canning and just everything you do that it takes time. Because I feel like in our culture today, people are afraid to say that something takes time. But the thing is, when you give something time, it shows it's worth something. I think more than money, time is, you're, you know, paying in time is worth so much. Um, so I guess why for you is it important to spend your time, your time commerce on um, homesteading? Like how I does that extend that. from your yoga? I like time commerce because that's like yin. Yin is like, yeah. okay, so uh, go there and stay for way longer than you ever thought. <laughs> yep. It's going to be super hard mm -hmm. and it's going to look really easy. <laughs> I know. I actually love the farming, canning, preserving, dehydrating, seed saving, planting so much. I've taken this a little too, um, it's turned into a two month break. I went from being like, I can't take off a week or two or a month to it's two months. I'm like, oh gosh, I better plan my schedule for the fall. <laughs> Everybody. Good for what? you. <laughs> yeah. I mean, to liberate my eyes from the brain injury and the screen stuff is really hard, but I just kind of suffered through that because it was what was happening digitally and felt necessary within community and the way that I work. Um, but farming and gardening is really therapeutic to me. My, a friend of mine is a horticulture therapist and I love that term and I like thinking about mm -hmm. it because um, for most of my brain injury and all that stuff, I haven't been able to do the farming um, and the planting and the things that I did. So for the last four and a half years, I've had to stop something that was so important to me because it's therapeutic. It's quite affordable. I mean, yoga teachers are self-employed without benefits. People aren't going to physio and therapy the way that we want to, but squatting, planting, digging, moving, watering, observing, watching cycles, that is so incredibly important to me. Um, I don't go to the gym. I don't work out. I don't do cardio. I don't do any of that pre and post brain injury. I'm not like that at all. <laughs> but the garden is really hard for me. Um, like I'm shoveling, digging, moving, carrying, hauling 30, 40, 50 pound bags of like soils that we're turning. And I feel like I'm in better shape right now than I have been in the last couple of years because of that movement return and notice to the physical practice or yoga, it wouldn't do that in the same way. The garden has such different mobility for me mm -hmm. and, and focus. I also, um, I love the skills of knowing that I can do that and that it is a relationship and you have to observe. People are afraid of gardening and planting and they say, no, I don't know immediately because the, what you're saying, the, the time is really beautiful. People are like, how do you know what that looks like? I'm like, well, I've lived in the same house for 14 years and that entire time I've farmed and gardened. So I know every weed, every plant, everything I plant, every volunteer across this entire property but that's because I look and I wanted to learn and I asked people a lot of questions. Um, yeah, my lifestyle is plant-based. I've been vegetarian since I was 12. I've been vegan for the last like decade plus. So growing food and herbs is important to me. I grow food, tea, 
I make my own skincare. I make and sell some of those products. Yeah, I would love everyone to. My one friend goes, you know, like, I love the idea of being a nature girl. And I'm like, okay, <laughs> you know, but like, no matter who you are, that's where you came from. Don't forget your roots. No matter who you are, what you're listening to, like, you are, uh, you know, someone not too far back of you had a farm and grew their own and food like your grandparents were growing food mm-hmm. you know and yeah it's addictive once you get in there now I, I put way more time into my farm or my garden than my business in the last like two months like I'm spending five hours a day working on the farm and garden things and it's not even making of the medicines so sorry if you're waiting to hear from me and I still owe you email <laughs> but that's my boundaries where I don't want to feel held captive by obligations that are invisible, which is technology because in the garden, it's filled with bees. I grow a lot of flowers for medicine, but for bees and it's really beautiful and it's time and seed saving makes you watch something go from like a little tiny kale that made it through to turning into a giant tree to big yellow flowers. You can eat those and then the bees love it. And then the flowers drop and seed pods come on and the bugs hang out on there. And then when the seed pods go through their cycle and dry out, there's all these seeds to collect. I collect all those seeds. It's dropped them all underneath. So now the birds eat them. I've seeded the next entire kale farm. And I have enough kale seeds to grow everybody a farm. <laughs> you know? And it was free. It was a kale plant. It was yeah. just one. You know, I mean, I'm very grateful that I rent in a place that has property, but my house has been sold. So also, if you're listening and you have a farm you'd like to give me, I'll be looking to leave my farm, but take everything I've ever grown to a new location where I'm open. Oh, okay. That's good to know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, um, but that's more important to me than ever before. Before I said, I need to stay in the city because I work at all the yoga studios and I'm committed to that. And my event spaces are here. And now I'm like, I have 200 plus house plants. Some of my plants are 70 years old. I have rose bushes, rosemary bushes the size of cars. I have raspberries. This year I'm growing all sorts of things I've never grown before. I'm like, you're bigger than ever. Where are we going to go? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm more and more, I'm, I'm orienting to like, obviously I need to live on a farm. And for the first time ever, it doesn't matter where I am. And although I've done events for over a decade in Jamaica, all my deep family and good friends, my business partners are there. We stopped doing, doing events, but we started a plant-based wellness products. So essential oils and beauty blends. So the people I used to do events with that we did these oils and products on the side and our own passion, our own thing. Now we're like, this is a business. This is a brand. Let's do this. So yeah, plants nice. don't adapt to when kale falls over, it just grows up. Where Barash knocks it down, it goes sideways, and it starts all these new little shoots and babies. People never stop growing, neither do plants. (laughs) Yeah, it is so, it's like such, life is such a miracle when you look at it, like, whether it's like, you know, pregnancy and childbirth or like plants or just, it's just the way that life goes on. It's just, I don't know, it's, it's definitely... So I don't know. It's just so moving <laughs> when you really pay attention. It's so moving. Um, okay. Wait, 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 I lost my train of thought now. Oh no. Plants and childhood plants, and, and plants. relationships. Yes. Yes. Um, 
Oh, okay. Yeah, this is it. So I, so you mentioned skincare, which I'm forever interested in. And I know that you only put things on your face that in your body that you make yourself. So can we go through your skincare routine? Because you are glowing and that is without any fancy serum. So tell me what you do. <laughs> Thanks. I love that because, all right, I'll plug our little Jamaican brand too. Yes, please it's do. called Naturally Rooted, um, Ooh, which is... Um, rooted sister meets naturally relaxed and me and one of my best friends are little brands coming together and we're similar like that as are all my friends and all my quote-unquote rooted sisters um that's a little bit of a brand slash community I've been working on the last couple of years if I wouldn't eat it I don't want to um put it on me so I'm like quite militant in my life about um what I eat I don't eat preservatives I don't eat any chemical stuff. I don't drink any alcohol. I'm not a coffee drinker. I don't smoke cigarettes. And so people always say that they're like, your skin's amazing. What do you do? I'm like, there's zero makeup, but there's no chemicals. There's a lot of ganja. There's no alcohol. There's zero meat, not really any sugar. I eat an organic diet. I don't exercise, but I farm hard. Damn, I'm like, it's not that hard, <laughs> you know. But, um, <laughs> um, but um, yeah, I like, I use soaps that my friends make. I use like plant based soaps that my friends make. I trade them, I do a lot of trading. I trade a lot of my clothing lines. I have a clothing line here too. Um, Amazing okay. clothes, check it out. It will be, I'll post, I'll put it on the show notes. Yeah, um, but the clothes and the beauty things are really similar. I couldn't find necessarily things that were like organic and local, local and sustainable plant-based and I wanted to have that so I'm more of a I'm not the person who's like oh shucks that doesn't exist I'm like well I guess I'm gonna have to make it so make it now um so I grow calendula and I infuse certain flowers and oils um I moisturized right before we went live with each other with um baobab oil which is an African fruit I import that oil from a family friend in, from Burkina Faso. So that's a direct, like, cold-press oil um, that I infuse with frankincense that comes from a cooperative that a friend owns. So it's mostly good vibes and ethical practices. They're nice, natural things, but I've never bought anything on Amazon in my entire life. I'm not an internet shopper. I don't support big businesses ever. I'm not interested in that. I want all of my money and everything I do to be within my community and people that are doing that and know that every, everything that touches me and I touch, I feel really good about, you know, like I'm not like that was bad. <laughs> you know. Um, yeah. I know people don't like hearing that, but stop drinking alcohol, not to be that preachy person. I know a lot of people increase their alcohol consumption because they were so stressed in COVID, but um, I say that as a former very heavy drinker. If you used to know me, I could outdrink anybody. So I'm not saying that from a purist standpoint. I reverse aged. When I stopped drinking alcohol, I got younger and younger. I'm 39. People always are like, aren't you in your 20s? I'm like, no, I'm almost going to be 40. I'm stoked. Mm -hmm. The only way I get up close, these are gray. <laughs> um, but what you put in you will shine out of you. So I think that has to do with yeah, what you eat, what you wear, how you consume things, what you prepare. And if people are listening, they're like, I can't change my life. That sounds so complicated. Don't You don't need to wear makeup. You don't need fancy anything. 
you know, coconut oil is incredible. I use coconut oil for everything before I got into the fancy oils, avocado mm -hmm. oils, hemp oils. If I would eat it, I'll put it on my skin. I actually have, this is a very specific question, but it's something I've been wondering about because you're fair skinned and you're outside a lot and I'm the same, but I know sunscreen, especially lately has been like freaking me out uh, with the chemicals and sunscreen. So what do you do to not get sunburn? I never wear sunscreen. I haven't worn it in years and years and years. I know people are like, but your hair, your, your light skin and your hair is sort of gingery should burn. Um, I'm mindful about when I'm in the sun. Mm. That's like a one thing for me. Um, like we set to talk at this time of day because I know that's when I'm coming in from my morning farming because it's mm -hmm. getting too hot. I know I'll start to burn. Um, so I'm specific about the times of days. And I really learned that. I spent a decade in Jamaica and not in resorts, like farming and running events and running productions and shows and things with friends. And I learned a lot, if you can, depending. You're not out in the sun in the middle of the hottest part of the day hauling ass. It's ridiculous. It doesn't make any sense. Mm -hmm. And that relates back to what you're talking about with time. People like feel like they have to use all the things all the time. Um, coconut oil and shea butter also are a natural sunscreen. So I'm a heavy moisturizer for and after. I love shea butters, coconut oils, baobab oils, all the oils we infuse that's really nourishing. Mm. Um, yeah, not going away. I don't get the sunburn. Also, I don't chase the sun anymore. I actually feel really differently about the sun than I did years ago. It's like mm. now I'm like, oh, it's getting hotter and hotter and I need to get inside, but I'm not done in this little farm mission where before I'd be like, we're going to the nude beach. Who's coming? Now I'm like, right. that's so hot. <laughs> 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 but you know, I wear a bikini top in the garden. So it sort of looks like I go to the beach, but you know, it's the yard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I'm like, Oh, I can't just sit there in the sun. I I'm the same. <laughs> yeah. There's a, a sunscreen company that actually sponsored me with sunscreen for a Jamaican trip once. Cause I do put it on thicker if I'm in hot, hot sun. Uh, it's called goddess garden. Mm. But um, there's a couple of natural sunscreens, but yeah, so you're making a really good point. That's why I'm really interested in yoga and love light yoga and naturally rooted and rooted sister all about natural lifestyle because chemical sunscreens are coming from large corporate companies that are not doing good things in the planet. They're putting them in wasteful containers. Their ethics aren't there. Um, yeah, when I think about something, I'm like, who's that from? What did they do? Also, I'm not that righteous. When people are like, what do you eat? What do you do? I'm like, last night we ordered vegan junk food and <laughs> early fries, double cheese, double pepperoni pizza, and two types of chicken wing things. All vegan. Those are all vegan. <laughs> you know, I'm not eating kale salad all day long. I love my junk, but... Yeah, no, I, I love, I mean, and I'm asking, so I don't feel judged at all. I just like love hearing about how you think about things. Like, I love that you are so thoughtful and every, like you said, like everything that is around you. Uh, and actually that brings me back to a question and this might sound silly, but it's just, you said that part of your practice right now is contemplation, which I have, well, I historically am not great at, uh, I let's say I'm uh, not great at like 
this makes me sound stupid, but I'm not great at like deep, like I don't think deeply. I don't think like I, I am kind of impulsive uh, or I was as a kid and I'm like getting better about it. Like when you, like, how do you contemplate? Like, does it just come naturally to you? Like, what do you do? Do you meditate? Do you go for a walk? Like I'm a mover, like I'm always moving. So I have a hard time thinking like, how do I contemplate? (laughs) I love that. Well, you know, contemplation, I think is really important because contemplation and concentration are really related to each other. Mm-hmm. which I think is really hard for anyone, especially now because things are so speedy and digital and everything's popping off and everyone needs everything all the time and no one can even wait an hour. Like, did you get my message? You're like, dude, it's been like, give a woman four hours, give a woman <laughs> four days. Like, just, yeah. I'm trying to really resist the urgency because that is usually patriarchal, self-imposed, capitalistic. You know, we don't need that. That's that, that deep speed, but... How do I contemplate? I want to be in good relation with the world. So I think that's what was always missing in spiritual practices for me. People were like rocking on the mat and preaching really beautiful things, but acting like assholes in their real life. Um, That's like an expose thing. Some of the nastiest, meanest, weirdest people call themselves teachers or practitioners. And those are generally self-imposed titles. So I always wanted to walk what I spoke because that was really important to me individually, but also publicly because you, you sort of mirror what I've heard from many people over the years are like, I know that when you're involved with something, it's ethical, it's good. It's justice oriented. Like you're not involved with things that aren't like pure clean. I don't, I don't like the word pure clean. That's not really the right choice, but you know, I know if there's something that Danielle or Love Light Yoga has done, like it's been checked, it's good, it's it's good people, it's good things, it's doing good things. And there is a sense of trust in that that I think has the, the yin thread line through. There's a sense of in yin where you're like, who am I? Who am I when I'm not my anxious self? And who am I when I'm not like serving everybody else all the time, which I think yogis are really good at doing really good at serving everybody all the time but forgetting that they also must like serve their spirit or see what their call is Mm. um I am blessed in the sense they don't have children so I have more quiet time I know you're like I'm tucked in this space so like I have a lot of house plants and a large farm so I have a lot of contemplation personal space um I know you're maybe going to ask this but I'll bring it up I'm a cannabis smoker I'm a ganja smoker so that's not social for me that's not like I don't share with people that never goes in a circle ever that's always been like my own time and my own place and my own Mm -hmm. sense um and I think people forget that when they think about um cannabis and yoga have so much relationship to each other you know they have like ties to spiritual practice and contemplation and like deep indigenous roots and like global stories about both and medicinal in many places and then like people come in and buy legal cannabis and make shops that look like apple stores and like throw down fancy yoga gyms but not contribute to original origins in certain countries so Mm. Yeah, cannabis has been really important to me over the years for a very long time, like very, very, very long time. 
Um, so it's nice to step out of the green closet as we legalize <laughs> in so many of our countries because, yeah, I've smoked cannabis for 27 years. People always think I'm 27, but no, cannabis and I have been very good friends for that long, which also is probably great for my skin. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but I'm a dreamer. I'm always really thinking about like, how could this happen? What's next? Mm. How can I connect these people? People always know me as a connector of like putting pieces together, putting communities together, like figuring out how to make something work. And yeah, I think that's a spiritual practice. That's like, I don't want to be on like the covers of things. I'm not driven to fame for that I'm more like actually I'm pretty shy and I'm kind of an introvert just like play an extrovert when I need to mm. um yeah I guess I lean the contemplation thing is I, I'm so happy to sit here with like watercolors and I love to bead and I like to sew and I love to cook and make medicines and do things I would way rather do that than like I don't teach at any of the festivals or go to any of those yoga raves or musical rave things I used to do that for business I I won't even do that for business I'm not really interested in that um, vibrations it's too loud it's too noisy and I don't mean that just in like a musical sound sense I mean that loud and noisy across all the planes and so yeah I guess the last thing I'll say about contemplation is I think we have, like, <clears throat> I wasn't raised religious. Let's take a sip of water. Um, I wasn't raised religious, but I always wanted more. Like, I've always been like, I'm going to get out of here. I'm going to build a dream life. I'm like an only child from a single mom who grew up in social housing, and I'm going to build me a life. And I have, and it's awesome. It's really beautiful. I'm sitting in it, <laughs> you know? I think that's dry, but I also think that's spiritual practice too. You know, it's like, keep on. Mm. That. Um, actually, I'll say one more thing about spiritual practice and contemplation. Reggae music. Mm. Reggae music's been very, very inspirational to me since I was super young. And that's not no woman, no cry, no disrespect to Bob Marley, but... You know, the original sounds of reggae are talking about rebellion and revolution and an imbalance of power and there being justice and good will always win over evil, you know. And there's some nice songs that we heard internationally, but when you think about the classical roots of that. Yeah. Yeah, I that makes I think, yeah, I think that the contemplation, I know for me, like when I've had moments of it, it definitely comes in that kind of like tinkering time, like making something or doing something. Like if you do it in silence or do it with music or, but like without talking to someone, it is. And I also really, that that is, I think how you get in, maybe you get into the brain. Uh, and I also love what you said about um, smoking cannabis being a solo event, because for me, I, I also like to smoke or I like edibles, but I, I always think I want to do it with other people. And then I end up sitting quietly anyway. <laughs> so it's kind of nice to free yourself from that, to just let it be like something you do by yourself. It's sort of nice, really. 
Yeah, like, um, and I love this. In my time in Jamaica, again, it's not like touristy. My parents are very rootsy. I spent a lot of time in culture with Rastafari people. And since I started going to Jamaica like 10 years ago, you don't sh- you don't share a joint. You have your own. Yeah. Like, if you're a smoker, you're a smoker. You have your own. But cannabis is like more plentiful and free there over the years for me. So it's easy to share. I would never give you a, a little bit of my joint. I'd give you a handful of your own. Mm. Um, and when I started coming back here, I was like, ew, gross. I barely share with my friends. And I definitely, when strangers pass a joint around in a circle, you, pre, pre-COVID, I'm like, ew, ew. <laughs> Cooties, one. Two, it goes back to my like, I tell is a, a Jamaica or Rastafari term, like a uh, clean and pure lifestyle, like really specific about natural and no artificial things. When I look at someone, this is offensive sometimes. I don't want to share a joint with someone who just like smoked a cigarette and like sucked back a beer and just like licked a steak. No, my life mm-hmm. is so pure. You, um, I don't want you to touch my beautiful ganja that a friend grew me and I rolled in an organic paper and you're sweaty drippy party lips are gonna go all over it gross so I've, always, <laughs> I've always been um, a solo smoker and I'm also like I have a high tolerance I love a lot of cannabis and so I'll take out a very large joint where people are like oh yeah because it looks like something that would go around for like 10 people at a party no sir that's mine it's solely <laughs> for me <laughs> Um, but I don't find cannabis social I like to smoke with other deep lovers and appreciators of cannabis that have it as an integrated part of their lifestyle mm-hmm. I'm not interested in people who are party and are like give me a hit of that you know you like the business conferences I attend like, as soon as the joints come out some drunk person's like give me some of that and I'm like get away from me I, mean, I don't want to babble on water I don't want to be around your alcohol or that vibe mm-hmm. I'm only smoking this in a public setting because y'all are super intoxicated I guess I was like do my own thing here but I guess in I smoke in the morning, I smoke in the afternoon, I smoke in the evening, I smoke before bed. That's why I was by myself. You know, it's like with a tea or a hot chocolate. It's I'm very specific about the strains that I smoke and where it comes from. I will hashtag a joke about friends don't let friends smoke government weed. No, sir. <laughs> you know, um, everything that I smoke has been gifted to me or grown by a friend. Or if I'm supporting something I support, there's an, um, an indigenous dispensary here. This is unceded territory. This is stolen land. It was never given to so-called, you know, Canada, Vancouver, the things that we refer it to. So I think a lot about that, too, like these medicines and our relationships to the land and the people and times that they come from, they weren't meant to be like smoked at a bar, wrapped in 20 pounds of government plastic and taxed all over the place. And that tax money goes to unfair policing and all those things that, you know, it's not the same as make friends with your local grower. <laughs> you know, here you can grow your own. Mm. You know, depending on where you live, you can grow your own. And yeah, I think having that relationship with it is so different, but I just always have to give my respect to Jamaica and the time and my friends there because I always knew I had a sacred, secret relationship with ganja. I was like, am I the only one that likes to like listen to music, smoke weed by myself and like write in my journal and dream on how to be a better person and help people? 
you know and i think canvas you know it does that too but jamaica taught me very much about like yo it's a spiritual practice mm. you become closer to you know the god or goddess or spirit of your own understanding call it call her or it or he whatever you want but you know i think about that a lot yeah um yeah, I, in a way, I feel like the um, consumption of cannabis is sometimes compared to drinking. And like they say, like, oh, don't drink alone. It's like, well, cannabis isn't drinking. That was like completely different. So it is um, it's so nice. It's just so nice to hear that because um, I just I didn't even I didn't realize that about Jamaica either that, that it, there it's very it can also be considered solitary. Um, yeah, I really appreciate that. <laughs> But, I love it. Yeah, that like validated the solitary. Yeah, it's, like, it's really good. Oh, great. I can just sit here and like, what are you doing? I'm meditating. I'm just holding a meds. Yeah. Quietly with other people, maybe. Spiritually, if I'm in line with them, I'll sit and smoke with other people. But like, I don't like to walk down the street and smoke a joint. That feels so disrespectful to ganja. I was like, mm-hmm. can't even take a minute to just yeah with her, you know? relax yeah no totally (laughs) for sure yeah I um yeah and I just I just love yeah I think what you said about people knowing that if you endorse something it is good and like you know vetted is so I don't know that's such a testament to your life like I just I like that's that's a like the I one of the biggest compliments but I completely agree like it with like anything that you endorse I'm like yep I would, you know, I feel comfortable getting that. It's like you do the homework for everyone else. Um, But speaking of that, I wanted to talk a little bit about, I know we're getting late, so I'll be quick, but I want to talk a little bit. I got time. I mean, it's cool. I got time. I got to drink this one. I've been wanting a mason jar, you know. Same. (laughs) I know all yogis are like, mason jar full of water. (laughs) Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about plastic free yogi and just Mm -hmm. what that's like and and how, and you know, just explain it a little bit to you. Totally. First of all, I've been making a lot of plastic waste in the last like year year and a half two years um so I want that to like I like to confess that to people because I feel Mm -hmm. like as soon as you talk about like you don't drink and you try not to make waste people feel uh, judged and shamed so to be clear like I'm not trying to shame or judge anyone um and also I've I've tried to actually become less militant about those things because I went through a time so plastic free yogi is how I was living my life excuse me where I don't want to involve with one-time use plastic it's so wasteful it's going to outlive you like way longer than you'll ever be alive that one to-go coffee that one bag of chips that one wrapper that one pack of everything mm. is going to outlive you and that's the yoga ethics I was like damn it doesn't sound good <laughs> <laughs> or fair or necessary I acknowledge that we live in a world where we always can't make choices we live in a world absolutely infiltrated with plastic so you cannot 100% avoid it but you can make an effort to um so yeah it was like a group of friends and I where I was like because I went to art school I was like let's make it look like a brand so we like drew (laughs) let's make a logo um we did that because I was teaching at Wanderlust and I was getting involved with Sean Corn and Off the Mat and I was teaching in San Francisco and doing all these things. And I was like, it doesn't feel right to just like go to a place and be like, yin yoga, it's going to help you. Bye. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Plastic Free Yogi felt like this way that I could make an impact, make some suggestions. And in my own life, I just like hate plastic. I just hate it. It's so wrong. It's made of oil and it never goes away. And it's like all these environmental fights and all the things that we do. It's like we do have to like take down large corporations, stop pipelines and defend land and water. But also we really have to reevaluate like every step of how we live and how we engage with businesses and where we shop. Um, so it was little by little and then it became really militant. So we actually did it as a household. I run a community home here in Vancouver. It's like a multi-level house. We have like our own spaces. And we did it as a house one time where we made no waste for a year. We had roommates that were in a documentary. And wow. so... Yeah, we're like, it's jerky that they're making no waste. And we are. So we're like, we better just do it with everyone. And I mean, little things like you can buy bread and plastic that has a plastic bag with a plastic twist tie, or you can choose the local made loaf in a brown bag. You can go to your local bakery and like choose the loaf, bring your own bag. So we started doing little things like that. And then more and more, I felt really guilty. So then I started making like canvas bags when I would go and get bulk produce. Again, we're talking about COVID kind of messed up some of that stuff Mm -hmm. for people because it became different. But actually, my solution to the the COVIDian times was I started buying in bulk, like big bulk. Um, And I had never done that before. It was actually, I was helping cater a wedding and I didn't want to buy little packs of lentil bags is buying like 10, 20 pound bags. And I thought, damn, I can't believe I hadn't, I hadn't been doing this. Mm. It's a fraction of the price. They generally come in these really thick, um, double, triple paper fabric lined bags. Like they're thick. Um, I'm a hoarder of mason jars. I walk up and down the alley when I do walk places, just in case you are trying to recycle your fancy mason jar. <laughs> <laughs> rescue you it for you but um so yeah it just became a movement and a little bit of a pledge where I asked people to do that but one of the reasons I pulled away from it is I'm I kind of run and manage everything on my own it was becoming too much to try to have the weight of creating a business living in the most expensive city as a single woman who lives alone in, in Vancouver and try to run all these things mm. so I made a bit of a decision to put things on hold, but also continue to communicate with people to figure out how to build better foundation and structure. Mm-hmm. So what is cool, what happened with that is now I'm saying like, there's these like banning straws and plastic and single use plastics in different countries. So instead of thinking about people taking pledges within their communities or yoga studios, we can start to look at a larger um, community, like as a city. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, I like that. And actually, we just renewed the domain like two days ago, something. So it was neat that you asked about that. I'm like, I know, I need to pick that up again. So if you're really into social media or if you're a graphic designer or you're into environmentalism and you want to work with Plastic Free Yogi, we can pick it up again. But <laughs> um, but I'll say for that, too, I think some people I know, myself included, I got so militant in doing it. And I was like, I think this is going to turn into an eating disorder. Mm-hmm. So like, I can't buy that. I can't eat that. There's no food around here that I can't get plastic free. And I'd be like, it's fine. I don't need to eat that. And then all of a sudden I was like, you know what? Listen, live a little, eat some chips. People eat chips all the time. You know, 
You don't have to go across town. This is before our city was filled with now really amazing plastic-free grocery stores. There's multiple plastic-free grocery deliveries that come to your house all in jars and stuff now. And so that happened in the last like eight years. There's been a flip where people are like, oh, I could do that. Yeah, people just need to see what's possible. And I I do believe, and that's why I think it's so important for government and to get involved, because I think once people see what's possible, they'll do it. It's just, you know, not everyone is a big contemplator like yourself. So like, I think once people are like, oh, it's possible, then they're like, okay, I'll do it. Like, I don't, I don't think people mean, and I know for myself, because I use plastic, I don't, no one means, you know, has bad intentions people just don't think things through so I think that's yeah, why it's we, like yeah you haven't the band. seen it yeah, yeah. You're like, oh um there's a friend of mine a reggae singer who says when consciousness a wake up wickedness a shake up mm. and I think about that a lot it's like and Yoka talks about that like once you're awake good luck going back to sleep Never. Like, how do you listen? I was a chain smoking yogi in the beginning. I'd go to the Laughing Lotus and then go home and pound back menthols. Like, for real, though. And then all of a sudden, I was like, wait a second. I don't think these things align anymore. <laughs> and then it wasn't like, oh my God, I have to quit smoking. I was like, smoking is disgusting. I can't believe I smoked for so long. Wow, I needed breathing. I actually needed pranayama and vinyasa. That's why I like smoking. I like that. <sighs> you could just inhale. That's, you know, and then now I'm, I'm the person who's like, Oh my God, I can't believe that person's smoking a cigarette a block away from me. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, whoops, sorry, everybody. But, um, no, I like the contemplation and the the concentration. Like I'll give you an example. And every time I tell people this, their minds blown. I'll make a blog about it because I feel bad. I mentioned things and then I just don't want to be on the computer. I have a lot to say, a lot of images to share. I just don't really want to be on the computer anymore, which is, you know, the world. But I make oat milk. I'm like obsessed with oat milk. I'm obsessed with hot chocolate with oat milk. I like live on that all the time. Um, I make my own. I buy bulk oats from a waste-free grocery store that my friend owns. So the money goes to her. She gives me a little discount. It's a waste-free grocery store. I buy it in bulk. It is so cheap. I'm like, how come I didn't figure this out until like a year and a half ago? I buy a 25 pound bag of oats, jar it up, put half in my deep freeze. And I put a scoop in the blender with my blender drinks and I turn it on. And when I make a smoothie, I put a handful of oats in it and I turn it on. And that giant bag is like under 50 bucks instead of like this little tiny bag of organic oats for $8. So wonder people don't drink and make oat milk at home because they're buying the little tiny plastic wrap bags. It's not enough for what you need. Mm-hmm. But if you went to your grocer or a friend or did that in a community of moms or friends, yeah, you want to go in on a bag of hemp seeds, you want to buy 25 pounds of oats together. So yeah, I do that more and more. I'm also ready for any apocalypse. I'm like, come over, got food for dinner. <laughs> I know. I'm like, if there was an apocalypse, how long would it take me to get to Vancouver from Chicago? (laughs) (laughs) I've heard that a lot because I seed save and I dry a lot of herbs and things. And when things start to get weird, people are like, shit, I'm going to come to your house. (laughs) You like got the things and know the things. You know, people think that's glamorous, but also to be clear too, it's like, I've learned a lot of those things out of poverty you know, it's like people are like, oh, my God, I can't believe you grow your own food. I'm like, there's a point in my life where I was like, I need to eat a lot. I need to eat well. 
I don't make enough money. There's mm-hmm. land here. And then it goes from like, yo, this is awesome. This is fresh. This is good. Like, I can't believe people buy kale. Kale grows itself, you know? And like, people buy that? That came from California on a truck in a bundle. And y'all didn't think to put it in your backyard. Like, those are the things that the disconnect starts coming to me. But yeah, I want to be clear because sometimes people are like, oh, people are so privileged. It's like a haul ass. I work really hard. I'm a hustler because I pulled myself out of poverty through my lifetime. And I want to continue to do that. And I want other people to know that they can do that too. And you don't have to compromise your values and you don't have to, I do things I don't want to do, but like, listen, I never wake up to an alarm clock. I drink hot chocolate every morning with my morning joint. I go out to the garden every day now and I do that until it's too hot. Then I come in, I'm like, okay, I'll think about the rest of you now. (laughs) (laughs) And then at about Six o'clock, I'm like, I don't want to be inside anymore. I want to go to the garden. <laughs> you know, but I think that will be the next parts of my business. I think as I um, grow, I mean, I run an online school and an online studio, but I like that being a platform for other people. I have more and more guest teachers. I'm going to run some programming through the winter where I would like to pull myself out of that more and more. And I love the making and the blending. And then like a classic Gemini also started a bra and underwear line during COVID. (laughs) Cool. Um, Yeah, so I'm taking, yeah, the fabric. Same thing. I was like, anyone notice you can't get like ethical cotton underwear or bamboo underwear anywhere? It's not like crazy expensive or like made super far away. I was like, oh, I can do that. I have a clothing line. work with pattern makers. I produced the line for like a decade, um, but I'm using the roll ends of my business and other businesses that use eco fabrics. And so it's amazing. It's not enough fabric for other people to put anything into production. So it will usually get wasted. But for me, I'm getting, I called it the other day, small batch artisan undies. <laughs> <laughs> um, and people are like, damn, you're such a hustler. I'm like, no. I just don't want to buy. Here's what a lot of women wear that I find in my friend's circle. Can't believe I'm going to tell you this. It's so funny. I don't want to go to La Senza. That's where like everyone I know goes to buy cotton underwear with a little lace on the top. Mm-hmm. La Senza produces far away. Their practices aren't great. They also changed their fabric and their sizing in the last couple of years. And I'm actually probably wearing it. No, I'm wearing a bikini top right now because this came in. But a lot of my friends wear Fruit of the Loom sports bras. That's what I wear forever because I was like, oh, it's cotton. It's cheap. There's not like... I don't want it to say juicy or sexy on it. I don't want it to have like weird things. Um, yeah. And I was like, I'm not, I can't support these businesses. This is so ridiculous. I can't eat. I don't want to go without, I'm not finding local that I like or that's within my budget because I want my friends to be able to afford it still. So here we are. The Roland's are a sustainable small batch. It's going to make it a lot more affordable. It's kind of exciting because it's like, well, that's it. There's no more fabric. You should have got them. So it, it it's of the interest of I don't roll in seasons and colors and styles and palettes. I like to just do the thing. So that's fun. I love that. Yeah, and then all my friends are like, "So you went to photography school, and now you're an underwear model and photographer." <laughs> I was like, "That's weird." No, I don't want to model them. I'm too shy. They ever wants me to, but I'm going to shoot all the photography for the website. So. Oh, nice. cool. and then I and then I build the website too so wow nice I know but I, I guess I'll circle that when people say about the commerce thing because here's the thing going back to 
saying kind of pulling myself out of poverty in the way that I work, I trade and barter and skill exchange all the time. My whole business was built that way. It's Mm -hmm. I've got skills, friends have skills, we support each other. So I can have an amazing website and an incredible logo from a high-end designer because I'll prepare them meals or I'll gift them clothes or I'll make a batch of skincare for them. And then we're both like, that's incredible value. Are you sure that's fair? I'm like, are you sure that's fair? (laughs) And so I feel like, although sometimes people say trading and bartering is like not as cool as money or not as great. One, I think, you know, everything's changing and shifting. I like alternative economy because I think it's sustainable. It also means that who you work with is like a tight family. Mm -hmm. I only work with friends. Everyone in my business is a good girlfriend of mine. I work mostly with women that are my friends in three countries on our own hours, in our own time, with our own flexibility. Mm. Like that's my dream life as a scrappy teenager being like, get me out of this crappy little town. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's um, there's such a level of respect when you barter versus, um, trade money where because it's like oh you're giving me the thing that you make and I'm giving you the thing that I do or I make and so there's this level of like both respecting each other for the thing you do which is different than if I just give you money because then you don't see the thing I do you know exactly like I don't really want your money but that being said I think what a shift a lot of us are making now and I encourage people that are listening to it's like actually I think part of being in like a seva and service and yoga community for so long we're all like no 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 money is the root of all evil never for the fruits of thy actions you know the last couple of years me and my friends were like I'm tired I'm a tired woman I'm a tired woman who has a lot of responsibilities with a lot of people through a lot of different threads of age and genders and ages and community I need money Mm-hmm. I need to revalue and recenter that and have a strategy being seen and valued and appreciated in a way that some mediocre corporate white dude seems really good at doing a half-assed job and thinks is incredible. And then I watch all these women around me who are like the top of the top and they barely see it. They're all like me. You think so? I'm like, you're the best of the best. Like mm-hmm. literally I know some of the best, you're the best. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And so I think we've tried to reprioritize that. So yeah, that's a lot with my girlfriends in Jamaica and our businesses and things. We're like, yeah, we've spent a lot of time uplifting other people and building other businesses for people and supporting others. It's our turn now. Yeah. So that's a shift to be like, okay, it's good. So I'm trying mm-hmm. to roll into that. Like I have an amazing portfolio. I've done creative works all across the world and so many different things, but that's usually volunteer in my own business those are really large corporate contracts or business fancy things where if we put different containers and structures on the way that we all work and work together, we can acquire the means to build what we want to do. Mm-hmm. Cause at the end of the day, people like us, we don't really care about money. We don't need very much. Everything around me is used or I find it. It's a gift. People like us, when they come into money, we do good things with it or we give it away. And so mm-hmm. we have a moral responsibility to make a lot of money. Mm-hmm. That's like this shift in the last couple of years. We're like, wow, oh people gosh. like us, you know, need to have that, you know? <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. Um, no, I I can, I agree with that, definitely. And the, yeah, there's a certain amount of like, uh, 
I don't know. I feel like I have a lot of friends who are like artists or something and they're like, oh, like I'll give it to you for this or you do this. And I'm like, no, no, I want to pay you for your time. Like your, your time and your expertise is worth so much. And like, like you said, so many mediocre white dudes are getting paid for their mediocre, (laughs) whatever, and not spending the time. So I, yeah, I think it's like valuable, especially as women, especially, you know, to be willing to like step into that. So I love that you said that. Yeah, it's so hard. I'm like me, myself include all my friends. We're all like um, building our own personal websites and like looking at our resumes and being like, damn, we've been so busy building and doing the things. We haven't really like documented the things Mm -hmm. until you pull back. And there's where the contemplation comes back in again, which contemplation and yin are so related. It's like contemplation in yin is like a place to contemplate where other things can bother. You can be like, blah, my hips, blah, I can't believe he said that. Oh, am I one with the universe? Follow your passion. Fuck that guy. You know, and you're like, what? <laughs> um, but I think, yeah, the way in which we see the specialness of ourselves and other people which again, I have to use that term. It's so like, it's so like cliche when people talk about like decolonize your mind because it's become, that's a very important practice. But again, it's getting like, that itself is getting colonized and genderized as if it's a phrase, it's not really important. And it is to like change how you think about your value and how much space you take up in a room. Mm. A friend of mine who runs some really great work here. So she made a post the other day. She's like, we don't want to sit at the table. We're coming for the whole fucking table. <laughs> yeah. Flip the table over, make a new table. We have a new table ready. We'll just put it in. <laughs> exactly. I sit on the floor. I am sitting on the floor. You're yeah. on a little table. <laughs> <laughs> Yogi's eyes crossed like it on the ground. Yeah. But that attitude, I'm like, oh, wow, I didn't grow up with that. I think we all grew up, no matter what age we are, I think we grew up with people around us being like, shh, don't let them see you. Women don't do that. Don't talk. Lay low, you know, don't ruffle the feathers. Me, people are like, you're a rebel rouser. I'm like, I know, because like, I just can't stand injustice for myself or others. Mm. You know, like whether that's small, medium or large injustice, whether my fight is really quiet or really loud. It's like, I don't want to see that. I want to see my friends rise and great people rise and good things happen that are ethically empowered. And people forget that we're doing that, like, I can't believe I'm going to break, like, watching everyone go nuts about all the rich guys going to space. I'm like, y'all did that though, you know, like hands up if you have an Amazon account. Oh, everyone around me. So you contribute to that. And although you saw um, how rich people treat their workers and where your food products come from and where your clothes come from, you see it and then you're like, ah, but it's $3.99. And then people do it anyways. I'm like, so... Like, yeah, I think of that in small and large. It's like, I understand people are like, but I have to order certain things from certain places. I can't go there. I can't do that. But you can research. You could order direct from the supplier. Mm. I know the other day I went to go buy toilet paper. I know it's $3 cheaper across the street, but like, I'd rather give that extra $3 to the guy that owns the shop who's there 16 hours a week, not to the no-name corporation across the street. There's a reason why it's cheaper. So yeah, I think the value of how we see each other is also what you said about time, like revaluing time, energy, relationship, who touched everything. 
that being said, it's like I'm wearing headphones and I have a microphone that I bought like at the mall from like the small mall, like the little shop, not online, but like they're made far away from bad parts. They're probably not like an ethical company. So I'm not saying like you don't have to move to the woods and give up everything. You know, you can make really small decisions and that's yin. Yin's like little decisions will make a big change. I didn't become vegan immediately. I gave up dairy. Then I gave up eggs. Then I gave up chicken. Then I gave up meat. Then I gave up meat products in things. Then I gave up gelatin. Then I gave up milk products and things. Then I gave up food coloring. Now I look up stuff and I'm like, gross, I ain't going to eat that. Why would I want to eat that? That's not food. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I can't. You know? like that glow. You can't. You can't. <laughs> exactly. The other day I was walking down the street because, you know, we all put on our COVID weight. I'm like, I'm a thick vegan, man. I eat good. I eat like good, <laughs> wholesome. Th- there's like no junk food in here. You yeah. Know? <laughs> totally. I mean, there is too. I do like my junk food sometimes. I just eat too, but yeah, and I think that's an important part. It's like we don't stir because we're like, I can't do that in its entirety. But uh, Martin Luther King said, take the first step before you see the staircase. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a, a patwa saying in Jamaica every little mickle make a muckle, every little <laughs> tiny bit makes a whole lot. Like, you know? Yeah. And I think that's so important to remember is like, it's the step-by-step and it is so involved with the end because even just the sitting still in being, sitting still when you're a little bit uncomfortable, even if you're just, it's just because you're sitting still teaches you to be a little bit uncomfortable and contemplate what you're doing, you know? And how you react. I mean, I Mm. became obsessed with the end because I would get so angry, like rage, like I'm going to fuck you up like who wants to fight in this room and I'm like <laughs> who is that <laughs> I was like oh that's you little scrappy 16 year old walking around with a razor blade in her hand at walking home in the dark being like get away from me you know and it's like oh what are you doing in this yoga room in my hips you're still in there hey that's and I made so- this joke for years where I look at people and I'm like if you can understand your like irritating asshole bitchy side which you all do like I'm nice and sweet but like I'm a bitch too you know like don't get me wrong <laughs> you know I'm definitely spicy nicey but if I know that then I know other people when someone like snaps at you and I'm like boy I do that I'm like they're mm-hmm. probably just hungry someone probably just yeah. said something to them that really bothered them or like they're just having like a minute. And so there's something about that. Although it sounds like compassion for yourself leads to compassion to other people. You're like, no, but it really is. If you're like myself and everyone I know every day is like, holy shit, these days just like beat me some days where I'm like, I have to get up and do this again tomorrow for mm-hmm. real. Like I still feel, I feel that way. You know, I'm still like, get up. I'm tired. I do love the garden. But I want to go on vacation. I used to travel all the time. Now mm. my garden's like, you can't go away. You have to water us every day. <laughs> I'm like, but I used to never go. But, oh, <laughs> you know. So, yeah. I love it that you, what you said about you, the 16-year-old you coming out. Because my reaction to Yen, which is also the 16-year-old, is different where it's anxious. Like, I, the whole time I'm doing yin, I get worried I'm not doing it right, which is so ridiculous. It's so insane. But I'll be like, I think that, I think the block is in the wrong spot. And like, so the whole time I'm like thinking I did it wrong, which is so 16 year old me. So it's so interesting. (laughs) I know. And that's why I got obsessed with it. I was like, this is cool. Cause you know, you hear about swadhyaya and self-study. You're like, how do you actually do that? 
It's one thing to like self-study yourself in a beautiful jeweled room with people who are like-minded, moving in flow and unison with you. And then it's another thing to be like butt up against people all the time, have to work and adapt. And maybe Geminis are good at this, but yogis, I like being able to adapt how I communicate. And that's why I'm interested in that sharing and not that like teacher role, because Mm -hmm. I've taught high school I've taught high school as a high school teacher and I've also taught yoga to high school students I've taught lawyers investors I've taught on stages of hundreds of people I've taught in rural Jamaica I've taught at reggae concerts in Kingston Jamaica I teach quietly in my room I also like go all over the city and like all those like adaptabilities I think I teach you how to speak differently to people Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, and like, that's a skill set. It's like, I feel really grateful that I can. Last week I taught a Zoom room of 30, 10 to 13 year old activists at a youth camp. I came out of my vacation to do that. Just like this. <laughs> I was like, this is cool. I'll go online for these. <laughs> you know? awesome. And yeah. And I was like, that's so neat. But the only reason I had to do that is because I've taught youth. I've been that youth. I know what it feels like to be like, blazing a fire at 13 being like let me at the world and you're like not even have keys to your house you can't even go anywhere yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know and like I also appreciate that I can go swear my face up with the lawyers and know their stress and now like I have a pack of lawyers I can call because I was a yoga teacher so anyone I know that works in my business under my business around it anything at one point, they were in a yoga class with me. That's how we met. Mm. So that's also why I don't give up on teaching. Even when I get tired, I'm like, sometimes I get tired of the quote-unquote teaching, but I never want to stop meeting the people. Yeah. It's such a community. It's, it's like such a way to at, reach people, mm-hmm. with a get, like especially with a gift like yours. I like, someone said to me recently, you know, someone I really look up to like a business like philanthropist mentor and she's like you know so many people you're like crazy connected but there's a difference not only do you know a ton of people but you know them really really well Mm. and they feel like they have a really deep connection to you and they love you and they're kind of willing to step in and do things and be involved in what you're doing and that's different than just like knowing people like the and when I think of that, that's like yin. There's like a depth. There's lots of layers to it. It's really integral. It's reciprocal. The most powerful people I know have hurt really hard and I've met them in their hurt. And then people are like, you know, those people. And I was like, oh, is there a yoga teacher? <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know like, yeah. yeah. Well, this has been so great and you're going to have to come back on because I could talk to you forever, but I should let <laughs> you get back to your vacation or, you know. Quote, unquote vacation farming vacation <laughs> I know the funny part about that I'm like working on the underwear line and rewriting resumes and trying to build up team <laughs> like, oh vacation. my gosh the vacation from the zooming live all the time because uh it's fun to do this because there's not pressure it's fun but there's something about um yeah live navigating mm. the re- the mic, the phone, the screen, the recording files, the tickets, the last email. Those things are so much harder for me now. I used to love that. And I'm like, this is tiring. Can somebody else do this? Yeah, definitely. (laughs) (laughs) 
Well, yeah. Well, thank you so much. And can I will post your site on uh, our show notes, but can you tell people where to find you just so they hear it too? Totally. Yeah. I do everything under love light yoga on Instagram and on my website. Pretty good on Instagram. If you're like, I like the farmy thing. My Instagram's like all pictures of my farm and garden right now. (laughs) And then I have an online yin studio library. So that's why I was able to take this little vacation. I have a a year's worth of recording um, with a little membership, but we're going to go live again in the fall because Um, What I do really miss is other people all chatting together because the digital classroom has now made my friends friends all over the world. So although it's nice to change how we do things and how we interact, I hope the digital world never changes because although it made us weirder with each other, it also brought everyone way closer together at the same time. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Great. Well, thank you so much, Danielle. Um, Yeah, this has been wonderful. Uh, So I hope you have a good rest of your day. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. It's always fun to chat. Hello. Thank you. and Goodbye, everybody. I hope that you enjoyed that interview with Danielle, and I imagine you did if you're still listening. Uh, If you want more from her, you can find her at Love Light Yoga, as she said, lovelightyoga.com. And there are links to all of her classes, her recorded classes. There's all the info to um, mentor, to um, have her as a mentor, and just all of of her offerings. Uh, Also, her clothing line and all the projects she's working on, including Plastic Free Yogi. So, uh, yeah, check it out. That's also where the blog is that I talked about with her during the interview. Uh, her Instagram is also Love Light Yoga, and I will put that in the show notes too, but pretty easy to find. She's, all, she's only one name there out there on the internet. Uh, so I wanted to talk today about this app I really love. It's called Melissa Wood Health, and she is a Pilates instructor. And it just has tons and tons of classes, uh, and they're anywhere from like five minutes to 60, but uh, there's just a lot of them that are in the kind of like 15 to 35 minute range, which is really ideal for me. And my friend Olivia Sachs introduced me to her, not physically, but told me about the app. And I was really looking for something that was had a little bit more strength training. Like as I get older, I know that's important for women uh, and resistance training. And I'm not like Danielle, like I don't live on a farm. I live in a city. So I, you know, I really wanted to sort of work my body in a way that yoga didn't, which newsflash yogis, yoga doesn't do everything uh, that your physical body might need. So sometimes you need to do other avenues of movement. Anyway, what I really like about her classes is that they're short, but they feel like you do something, but without punishing you. Like I've, I know a lot of classes I've taken like on YouTube for Pilates or whatever, uh, that are short, kind of, it feels like they're punishing you the whole time for not having more time. But Melissa Wood Health like really gives you breaks. She's very body positive. Um, and it's just feels like, uh, it's just like reasonable exercise. Like it's not like, I don't like a boot camp. Like I really tried to get into weightlifting. Like I just don't enjoy it. And if you don't enjoy something, you're not going to do it. Um, and I love these classes and I really like Pilates. I feel like Pilates, I like, uh, movement. I like movement modalities where it feels like you can really feel how your body's connected. And like in Melissa Wood Health, she does a lot of sideline series. And in them, you can really feel how like your whole leg is connected all the way up, you know, into your abdominals, all the way up to your ribs. It just makes at the end of it, you feel like my body feels like really put together in in a nice way. 
Uh, and they're just short and nice and like just intense enough that you feel like you did something, but not like, I don't know. I don't like a punishing workout. It's just not my scene. Uh, yeah. So Melissa Wood Health, I think it's like five bucks um, a month. So yeah, uh, that is my wellness thing that I'm doing lately. <laughs> I don't know if it's a tip or what, whatever. Uh, anyway, happy practicing. Uh, I would love to hear from you. So it's Rebecca at homebodiesyoga.com or you can find me on Facebook and Instagram at homebodies yoga podcast or um, you can listen next week and please subscribe so you don't miss an episode and write and review and happy practicing. Bye.